Prime members, you can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event details on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. More people are planning to vote by mail this coming election than ever before. We've been looking into the use of those ballots in a crucial swing state and the partisan fight over whether they are safe and secure. Think Bush v. Gore was complicated? When you have half of your voters vote by mail, you will not know the outcome on election night. The very first line in your book is, this is not the book that most people wanted me to write. People wanted me to write another tell-all about my time in the Trump administration. People wanted me to write another book about palace intrigue. And I think what Americans need today is a meaningful, a respectful discussion about these very serious challenges to our security, our prosperity, and, and our influence in the world. Tonight, President Trump's former national security advisor shares his experiences with all the trouble in the world. The LSU Tigers are the reigning national champs. And this spring, they tied a modern-day record when 14 of their players were selected in the NFL draft. All right. 60 minutes is in the house, baby. As LSU begins its title defense, we asked the homegrown coach, how about this for an accent? But you ain't going to corner me, big boy. What he was doing to keep his team healthy and on the field in this soon-to-be sideways season. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories and more tonight on the 53rd season premiere of 60 Minutes. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? 
Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. In a landmark ruling Thursday, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court made it easier for voters there to cast their ballots by mail. That could turn out to be one of the most consequential rulings this election year when voting by mail has sparked intense debate. President Trump says voting by mail is harmful to our democracy and his election prospects. Democrats say it allows more voters to participate. In the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, a third of registered voters told CBS News pollsters they plan to vote by mail more than ever before. Clashes over voting rules are raging in state courts and legislatures, perhaps nowhere more than Pennsylvania, the perennial swing state, the first to allow limited mail-in voting more than a century ago. We went to see how this battle for the ballot is playing out in the cradle of our democracy, Philadelphia. What keeps you up at night? Being an election administrator in one of the largest cities in the country and one of the fewest swing states in the country. Keeps you up at night? It does. Al Schmidt is one of three commissioners who run elections in Philadelphia and the lone Republican. That there's a lot more scrutiny with this one. At a public meeting two weeks ago held in an open warehouse to allow for social distancing, the commissioners weren't feeling a lot of brotherly love from voters. Voters need to know. They want to vote by mail. They don't know about drop boxes. They don't know about early voting. They don't know anything. It seems like this body can't help me. Where can I go for assistance? So I'm just going to get the deer in the headlights thing. Is that how it works? Somebody help me. With the presidential election just weeks away, the sad truth was Al Schmidt and his fellow commissioners couldn't offer much help. Thank you for your comment because they didn't have the answers themselves. What was the deadline for requesting and returning mail-in ballots? Would there be drop boxes for voters to drop off their ballots? Lawsuits and legislative wrangling kept those and other issues up in the air until just three days ago, when the state Supreme Court ruling provided some answers. Because the Postal Service admits there will be mail delays, Ballots arriving up to three days after Election Day will be counted. Drop boxes are allowed. And a slightly relieved Commissioner Al Schmidt can now get to work. Not only do we have uh, vote by mail in Pennsylvania now, which is pretty new, we have a whole series of election reforms that are new. We have voting technology that is pretty new. And it's taking place in this environment uh, with the COVID-19 concerns that have limited our ability to use polling places. There's all sorts of challenges all uh, aligning for this election cycle. The biggest challenge, voting by mail, 
A new election law allows every registered voter to mail in ballots. It was first rolled out for the June primary as the pandemic raged in the midst of racial protests. It was a bumpy rollout. Because of the virus, the primary was postponed five weeks. The day before the election, Democratic Governor Tom Wolf extended the deadline for some counties to return their ballots. Despite the bumps, 175,000 Philadelphians voted by mail. We had just an extraordinary interest in mail-in voting. Did you notice a pattern as to who was choosing to vote by mail? We did. Philadelphia is roughly seven Democrats for every one Republican. When we took a look at who applied to vote by mail, that disparity was 17 to 1. 17 Democrats applied to vote by mail for every one Republican who voted by mail. Vote like your life depends on it and your rights depend on it because they do. Angelique Hinton is working to make sure the voices of Philadelphia are heard in November. Okay, so if you fill this out, yes, then we can get this information to the commissioner's okay, office. She's working for a nonprofit, nonpartisan program to get out the vote, especially from young people and people of color. I'm just hesitant about the um, mail-in. Well, as far as what are you nervous about, like mailing it in? Uh, yeah, would it count? In the confusion of the June primary, almost 6,000 of Philadelphia's mail-in ballots were rejected because they arrived after the extended deadline. So Hinton reminds voters to get their ballots in by Election Day. I would make sure that you get it in early as possible if you're going to use that process. Why do you think vote by mail has become such a contentious, controversial issue? There have been a lot of people that have been disenfranchised, and so voting by mail just gives back a lot of people, you know, the ability to vote that maybe couldn't take off work or just for whatever reason couldn't get there to vote on one day out of the year. And so this now provides an opportunity for so many more people to vote, and I think that that is scary to some people. And these mail-in ballots, these mail-in ballots are a disgrace, and they know it. President Trump has visited Pennsylvania four times since June. In 2016, he lost the big cities of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, but won the rural vote in a landslide and took the state by 44,000 votes. That's less than 1%. So far this year, more than 2 million Pennsylvanians have requested mail-in ballots, more than two-thirds of them Democrats. Almost every time President Trump campaigns in the state, he rails against mail-in ballots. This is just a way they're trying to steal the election, and everybody knows that, because the only way they're going to win is by a rigged election. Pennsylvania is certainly ground zero in this presidential election. Democrat Josh Shapiro is Pennsylvania's attorney general. He's been fighting Pennsylvania Republicans and the Trump campaign over mail-in ballots since June. He won the recent round in state Supreme Court, but in federal court, the president's lawyers are seeking to ban drop boxes and lift limits on poll watchers that have been in place since 1937. Shapiro told us the -the behind-the-scenes legal battles are as tough as the political one between President Trump and Vice President Joe Biden playing out on center stage. How intense is this legal battle? going on in Pennsylvania? Incredibly intense. And you're here at a time where the president and his enablers have gone to court 
to actually make it harder for people to vote, Bill. They've actually gone to court to try and sow doubt in people's minds. And I'm in court right now beating back the attempts by the Trump administration and the Trump campaign to make it harder for people to vote by mail. Shapiro says Exhibit A, the president's repeated claim that there's massive fraud with vote by mail. It's the centerpiece of his federal lawsuit in Pennsylvania. And so we went to court and said, hey, Mr. President, put up or shut up. Demonstrate that fraud that you keep talking about is the reason for trying to undermine the vote here in Pennsylvania. And guess what? They didn't produce any fraud. The federal court judge, a Trump appointee, has asked the president's lawyers to show reason why this case should proceed. They are back in court this week. They can make all the claims they want on Twitter. They can make all the claims they want in the media, no disrespect. But ultimately, when you make a claim in court, you're bound to have to show proof, facts and evidence. And they failed to produce any type of meaningful proof that demonstrates that there's this fraud or demonstrates that our statute is illegal here. Jake Corman is the Republican majority leader in the Pennsylvania Senate. He supports President Trump. So you might be surprised by what the senator told us a week before the state Supreme Court decision. Do you believe that voting by mail is safe and secure? In the Pennsylvania system, yes. What do you think of the president's almost unrelenting criticism of vote by mail? I, I'm not going to speak for the president. Uh, that's that's you know that's his job. My job is to make sure the Pennsylvania system works. I think we are doing that. We have done that. The Pennsylvania Republican Party claims to be a champion of vote by mail. It overwhelmingly passed the Republican-dominated state legislature and was signed into law by the Democratic governor in October 2019, well before the pandemic. The website of the Pennsylvania Republican Party calls mail-in voting safe and easy. When we spoke to Senator Corman, he called some of the rhetoric around mail-in ballots noise. There's a lot of noise coming from everywhere. I mean, for anyone to claim that it's not, it's all on one side, it's just not paying attention. Um, clearly, the president has the biggest microphone. All presidents have the biggest microphone. If you're an effective policymaker, you know, you listen to it to a point, and then you got to tune it out. Our job is to make sure this election comes off well and that people are confident in it. But the tone and tenor of debate in the Pennsylvania legislature this summer has not inspired confidence. Republicans and Democrats had been working together on legislation to fix kinks exposed in the June primary. Never has anybody... But shortly after President Trump started blasting voting by mail in the courts and on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania, state Republicans changed course and introduced amendments to the legislation that mirrored the president's goals. If anybody has two eyes and two ears, they know why this amendment is being moved. Democrats in the legislature, like Representative Malcolm Kenyatta of Philadelphia, felt blindsided and filed the case that ended up in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. They argued delays in mail delivery made drop boxes a necessity, and regulations on poll watchers had been a check on voter intimidation for decades. Allowing people to come from counties all across the Commonwealth into places like Philadelphia will try to intimidate people from using their right to vote. We have seen these tactics before. 
That's why the Voting Rights Act struck down a lot of these things. When the dust settled, Democrats won most of what they sought in the state Supreme Court last week. But after the ruling, Senate Majority Leader Corman told us he's now concerned about the security of mail-in ballots and that Senate Republicans are preparing to fight the decision all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Attorney General Shapiro says he'll defend the Pennsylvania court ruling. But I will tell you that there's an extraordinary amount of hypocrisy that's going on right now within the Republican Party. Donald Trump and his family vote by mail. Now, the good news is we have a lot of court cases. We have one in Pennsylvania. You know that, right? The Trump campaign, the GOP, Democrats and interest groups continue battling in court in Pennsylvania and most other states. So we'll see what happens. Do you expect that there will be lawsuits that will continue on Election Day? I can tell you my team and I, along with others around the country, are preparing uh, for all kinds of outcomes. Sadly, we have to fear that we have a sitting president of the United States that may take legal action to try and stop certain legal votes from being counted. Back in Philadelphia, the Election Commission is taking over a larger space to process election ballots. Republican Al Schmidt told us the state Supreme Court ruling provided some clarity to the election process, but didn't allay all his concerns. What most concerns you? Our republic depends on confidence in our electoral process. And there are a lot of voices across the spectrum that um, intentionally or unintentionally seem to be undermining that confidence. But one thing he states with confidence, we all have to have patience this November. When you have half of your voters vote by mail, when you have hundreds of thousands of votes to count and you cannot begin counting them or even opening the envelope that those ballots are in until Election Day, you will not know the outcome on election night. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. H.R. McMaster was an eyewitness to the Oval Office tempest that forms President Trump's foreign policy. McMaster was national security advisor for 13 months beginning in 2017, and he brought a world of experience to the job. He graduated from West Point led troops in combat, served multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and on the way to becoming an Army three-star general, he earned a Ph.D. in history. McMaster has written a new book called Battlegrounds. The title refers to threats faced by the U.S. today and to skirmishes at the White House. The now-retired general is a disciple of neither political party, he told us the last few presidents, not just President Trump, have left the United States vulnerable in the eyes of those who would do us harm. How do our competitors view the United States today? I think our competitors view us as weak and divided. I think they see an opportunity. I think China thinks it's winning. 
you know, China sees an America that is, that is divided against each other. They see an America that is reeling from a triple crisis of COVID-19, of the recession associated with COVID-19, and, and the civil unrest and racial division uh, in the wake of the horrible murder of, of George Floyd and over issues of, of inequality of opportunity. And so China is acting, I think, now much more aggressively because they think it's time to do it. They have, they have a window of opportunity to exploit our weaknesses and to come after us. I think Russia feels the same way. I think other adversaries could feel the, the, the same way. The very first line in your book is, this is not the book that most people wanted me to write. Right. People wanted me to write another tell-all about my time in the Trump administration. People wanted me to write another book about palace intrigue. And I think what Americans need today is, is we need, we need a, a discussion, a meaningful, a respectful discussion about these very serious challenges to our security, our prosperity, and, and our influence in the world. President Trump called in McMaster when his first national security advisor quit after 24 days. Michael Flynn had lied about negotiating with Russia before Mr. Trump was inaugurated. The president offered McMaster the job the first time they met. What did your friends and family advise you? <laughs> well, I got a wide range of, of, of viewpoints. Many called and, and urged me to do it and said, here is an unconventional president who, is, who needs your, your help. Others urged me not to do it. And I think a lot of it was because of the, you know, the unconventional, disruptive, and, and some would say offensive nature of, uh, of President Trump. It was an easy decision? It was a very easy decision for me. His uniform changed, but not his soldier's view. Confront our adversaries and support Iraq and Afghanistan as long as it takes to ensure their stability. But as in all administrations, the West Wing was riven by rivals. There's certainly one group of people there who are there to serve the elected president and to serve the country. I think there are other groups there, though, as well. A second group that is there really, instead of providing options to the elected president, they, they really want to advance their narrow agendas. And then I think you, there's a third group, and I think this is true probably of any administration, who cast themselves in the role of saving the country and maybe the world from the president. Were you trying to save the world from the president? No, it was my duty to help the president come to his own decisions. Decisions for a world of trouble, principally Russian disinformation and election meddling and repressive and aggressive China. What do we misunderstand about China? For the Chinese Communist Party, they're driven really by two fundamental uh, things. First of all, it's the fear of losing control. That's why they're obsessed with control. That's why you see them extending and tightening their exclusive grip on power with this Orwellian, technologically enabled surveillance police state. And they're also determined to achieve national rejuvenation, to take center stage in the world. Is the rest of the 21st century essentially a cold war between the United States and China? It's a competition for sure. It doesn't replicate the Cold War with the Soviet Union in an exact way, but it's a competition. How is it different? It's tougher. <laughs> it's tougher because our economies are intertwined in a way that gives tremendous coercive power to the Chinese Communist Party. I describe their approach as co-option, 
co-opt us in with the lure of access to their market and short-term profits, and then coerce us, coerce us to adhere to the worldview and to make concessions that allow them to achieve competitive advantage against us. What do we misunderstand about Russia? Whereas China wants to harness its strength and create exclusionary areas of primacy and challenge America, Russia knows it's too weak to do that. What Putin wants to do is he, he wants to drag all of us down, right? He wants, to, he wants to polarize us, pit us against each other, reduce our confidence in our democratic principles and institutions and processes. On Afghanistan, McMaster convinced a reluctant president to send more troops. McMaster says Afghanistan became America's longest conflict because short-term wishful thinking led three presidents to fight one-year wars 20 times over. We went in under this illusion that the war was going to be fast, cheap, efficient, and then we turned our attention to the war in Iraq. We kind of forgot about Afghanistan, but guess what? Our enemy didn't forget about it, and so we have strategies and policies based on what we would prefer to do rather than what the situation demands. But in the end, Mr. Trump preferred to get out. After McMaster left, the president abandoned the buildup. You must have come away from that experience thinking the president might make a decision, but it's not likely to stick. Well, that's exactly what was my experience. McMaster is critical of Afghan peace talks that began this month. Mr. Trump, in his view, is making too many concessions. You say in the book that the president cheapened the sacrifice of the 2,300 Americans who have died in Afghanistan so far. Well, I think what he did with this new policy is, he, in effect, is partnering with the Taliban uh, against, in many ways, the Afghan government. And so I, I think that it's, it's an unwise policy. And, and I think what we require in Afghanistan is a sustained commitment to help the Afghan government and help the Afghan security forces continue to bear the brunt of this fight which is critical, in McMaster's view, to prevent another 9-11. Terrorist organizations who pose a threat to us are stronger now than they were on September 10th, 2001. Those who perpetrated the mass murder attacks of 9-11 were the Mujahideen-era alumni of the the resistance to Soviet occupation in in Afghanistan. Today, we are facing an al-Qaeda and an ISIS alumni that is orders of magnitude greater than that Mujahideen-era alumni ever was. And they also have access to much more destructive capabilities. The president says that he is drawing down our troops in Afghanistan to about 5,000 and withdrawing 12,000 from Germany. I think these are both big mistakes. I think they're mistakes because they're consistent with, I think, this sentiment that you see really across both political parties for retrenchment or withdrawal from complex problem sets overseas. People are tired of these wars. Yeah, they're they're tired of the wars, and we lack confidence. We lack confidence because we haven't had, I think, sound strategies and policies in in place, and Americans are losing faith in these efforts. I I don't blame them. As for the president, McMaster told us foreign policy was not his favorite subject. McMaster would brief to the limits of Mr. Trump's attention, then watch him shoot from the hip. The president was speaking to reporters on Air Force One in late 2017. The president was asked about the Russian cyber assault on the 2016 election. 
Mr. Trump said of Russian President Putin, quote, every time he sees me, he says, I didn't do that. And I really believe that when he tells me that. He means it. What was your reaction after the president said that? Well, my reaction was one of surprise, disappointment, disbelief. Later the same day, the president went before cameras and said he didn't mean it. I'm surprised that there's any uh, conflict on this. What I said there is that I believe he believes that. Did you have a hand in the president's retraction? Uh, I, I did and others. We, we had a conversation with the, with the president afterwards. We said your answer to that question will be misconstrued as a complete denial uh, of, of Russian meddling when we know it's, it's incontrovertible. It's just, it's just a fact. McMaster also sticks to facts on climate change. He foresees a world destabilized by fire, flood, thirst, and hunger. What is so sad these days is that we are so engaged in, in partisan inf- fighting against each other that we don't take the time just to inventory what we can agree on. Can we agree that climate change is bad? Yes. Can we agree that it's man-made? Yes. Can we agree that we can do something about it? Certainly we can. The president says climate change is a hoax. Well, it's, it's not a hoax. <laughs> it's not a hoax. As for the pandemic, McMaster told us there was a national security pandemic plan, but its first two components failed. The first of those was identify an epidemic at its source and contain it locally. Well, thanks to the Chinese Communist Party, its obfuscation, its repression of the news of the virus. We couldn't do that. The second part of that is mobilize a biomedical response. And I think what we see now is there are frailties in that, in that response. Supply chains that prioritized just-in-time delivery and efficiency instead of the stockpiles we needed. Uh, supply chains that were over-reliant on China from, from a PPE perspective, the personal protective equipment, as well as, as pharmaceuticals. While managing threats to the nation, McMaster could not master the threats to his job. He lasted 13 months, his armor pierced in part by a social media missile, hashtag Fire McMaster. Who was behind hashtag Fire McMaster? Well, it was, it was a combination of, of, I think, these sorts of people who saw me as an impediment to their agenda. And it was a campaign that started domestically but then was reinforced uh, by, by an adversary, reinforced by the Kremlin. The Russians were behind hashtag fire McMaster. I mean, they were full participants <laughs> in it, but the, I don't think they started it. Uh, but, but many people who operate, you know, in this sort of venomous, uh, you know, social media environment uh, and, and, uh, and bloggers and the pseudo media, um, they're the ones who initiated uh, the campaign. A campaign joined ultimately by some in the White House who offered the three-star general an incentive to leave the battlefield. There were people who wanted you to resign from the NSC and dangled a fourth star in front of you to get you to do it? Yes. <laughs> and you told them? No, thank you. I'm honored, but, but, uh, but I'm, I intend to retire at the, at the end of my uh, tour of duty, whatever the end of that tour of duty is in the White House. His tour ended with a tweet the president thanking McMaster for his service. Today, at age 58, the retired general who did not have stars in his eyes is teaching at Stanford. His book is long on policy, short on intrigue. McMaster declined to exploit the fractures of the nation because our divisions, he advises, are the gravest threat 
to national security. We're in an environment where, as we're at each other's throats, the world hasn't stopped. These challenges are to our security and our prosperity and our influence in the world, and they're growing, I think, more severe while we're preoccupied with our own vitriolic partisan discourse. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When Ed Ogeron was named head football coach of the Louisiana State Tigers in 2016, the local joke went like this. It's about time the job went to someone who didn't speak with an accent. See, Ogeron is a native Cajun with a perpetually hoarse voice, born on the bayou not far from Baton Rouge. Coach O, as he's known, struck a chord with the LSU fan base, first with his flavor and familiarity, and then by winning. The Tigers are the reigning national champions. Now comes the real challenge, defending a title amid a global pandemic. College football is an existential crisis. Just this week, when the season would normally be well underway, major conferences were still debating whether and how to stage football this fall. A member of the Southeastern Conference, LSU, forges ahead. As the team deals with COVID protocols and shifting lineups, we found Ogeron making the most of this new reality. Begin, what do you say, man? What's up, Coach? Five days a week for one frenzied hour, Ed Ogeron works the phones inside the war room of LSU's football facility. Say hi to Coach O real quick. The pandemic prevents top high school prospects from visiting campus, but teams can now call recruits as often as they like. Hey, what y'all eating out there? And Ogeron likes to call them a lot. Well, how's your mama doing? How's the best wide receiver in the country doing? This is a coach who made his name as much for his recruiting savvy as for his X's and O's. And then you're going to come play for LSU, right? Hopefully, yes, sir. What would you mean, hopefully? This sports version of speed dating, at LSU, it's known as Power Hour. All right, you know we love you. What's Power Hour? <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> I love Power Hour, man. Hey, you know, it, it, it's a lot of energy, man, and those phones are blowing up, and I get to talk. The other day, we, in 30 minutes, we talked to 31 recruits. Why is it important? You know, it's constant contact with these young people nowadays. Before, you could call them once a week, but if you don't call them every day, you don't text them every day, you don't send a message every day, sometimes two or three times a day, they think they, you forgot them. Someone says no. What's your, what's your play? I'm going to find a way. No, not today, but I'm going to find a way. You're going to get that kid to LSU. He's going to have to tell me no about a thousand times. One time ain't enough. You might call 2019 the year of yes for Louisiana State. The Tigers capped an undefeated season by winning the national championship. Their quarterback, Joe Burrow, won the Heisman Trophy. Another Tiger took home the award for best receiver. That's Jamar Chase. In April, NFL teams drafted 14 players from LSU, tying a modern record for one school. But for all the talent coursing through Baton Rouge, the sun here rises and sets with Coach O. He didn't get much of a victory lap, unless you count 5 a.m. rides to work, radio blaring. Two months after LSU's gilded season, COVID hit, and Ogeron was coming to work alone. 98.2, follow me. 
We were invited inside LSU football for a few days in August, when Louisiana had one of the highest COVID rates in the country. Players were back in the gym, but they weren't training in a bubble. Everyone here goes home at night. The team tracks players' temperatures, administers regular COVID tests, isolates those who test positive, and quarantines anyone who comes into contact with the virus. That's from COVID? Really? LSU hasn't disclosed figures, but Ogeron said this week most of his players have had COVID. How much of your day-to-day is devoted to this virus? What we do, we have a protocol here, and I follow it. Whatever it is they tell me to do, I do, and then I coach. And I really, my TV hasn't been on for six weeks now. Why's that? I know there's a lot of stuff going on there, and look, I understand, and, but, but for right now, my job is to coach this football team. And you've been outspoken. You want there to be football this yes. fall. Yes, yes. I think football is good for everybody. I've seen them practice, not get sick. I've seen them get sick last couple of days and come back. You know, they have their 10-day quarantine, but I asked them how sick were. He said, Coach, I had a little cough. So I think that the young players, when they do get sick, get over it quick. Have you come to grips with the idea that there might not be football this fall? Yeah, I don't let it enter my mind. Don't even think about it? No. I, and, but I know, I know it could happen. I know at LSU, we prepared these guys to play. We didn't blink. We're ready. Here come the Tigers, baby. Stay, stay. There you go. Be patient. Even in these first practices, the coach insisted on intensity. Do it right. Do it. We watched things get a little heated out there the other day. No balls, no helmets, no yeah. pads. Doesn't matter if you don't have no pad, but you can have energy. Said, Hunt, hands on him, nice job. I noticed you use the word energy a lot. Yes. It's important to you. Yes. Why? Yeah, I hate quiet. I, I, if it's quiet, it ain't good to me. There's no quiet in his schedule. After a 14-hour day, we trailed him to a local boxing gym. Ogeron manages to conform to every cliche about a football coach and, at the same time, smash the mold. For starters, there's his voice. Ogeron sounds like a man who gargles crawfish shells and garnishes that rasp with a Cajun accent. You ain't gonna corner me, big boy. We put the obvious question to Tyler Shelvin, a defensive lineman. That voice. (laughs) You always understand what he's saying? Yes, sir. I, I actually can understand it because I'm a Louisiana guy. Anyone imitate his voice on the team? Everybody does. You do it? Um, let's see. Uh, hey, Big T. <laughs> <laughs> You're Big T. Yeah, I'm Big T. Big T, who's the first one off your scholarship? You always had that distinct voice? You know, I think it's grown throughout the year. A lot of times when it gets gravelly because it gets wore out, but I think that uh, it's something that I use as a tool. It's loud, it's demanding. You can take control. Get them elbows inside. Years of coaching forged that rasp. But Ogeron's accent was born here, in Lafouche Parish, about 75 miles down the bayou from Baton Rouge. The Ogerons are Cajun, descended from French Canadians who were exiled to Louisiana swamps in the 1700s and have proudly resisted assimilation ever since. <laughs> when we stopped by, Cocho's mother, Coco, insisted we eat before we talk. And really, who were we to resist seafood gumbo? This is absolutely delicious. Thank you, I appreciate that. The family lived to play football. The late Ed Ogeron Sr. would coach the local kids on a field across from their house. Oh, that was the playground of the whole neighborhood. The ditch was the and the sideline was a, a hedge. And every once in a while, if you'd go up the sideline, you were in the hedge. 
Her son stood 6'2 and 270 pounds by the time he was 15, a star player on both offense and defense in high school. The South Lafourche Tarpons were the 1977 Louisiana State champions, but Saturdays were all about college football. What did LSU football mean to this family? It was a big part of our family, but it wasn't something we could go and and go to the game for. Why not? You know, we could not afford these. Uh, you know, that was an outing. It was expensive. You couldn't get a ticket even. When his son asked for tickets to an LSU game, Ed Ogeron Sr. delivered the ultimate pep talk. He said, son, we can't afford that. But let me tell you something. If you keep on working, you won't need a ticket to get into Tiger Stadium. Ogeron did get in. LSU gave him a football scholarship. But homesick and overwhelmed by the big campus, he quit after two weeks and hightailed it back to the bayou. The next day my daddy woke me up at 6 o'clock in the morning, so let's go, we're going to work. I was digging ditches. And people were passing on the side of the road. You quitter. You couldn't take it. It was the worst day of my life. But my father just looked at me and said, dig. He'd dig his way back to Baton Rouge, of course, but it took him 35 years to go those 75 miles. First, he transferred to play for Northwestern State, and then, after graduation, took volunteer coaching jobs while moonlighting in the hull of a shrimp boat. And I'll never forget, man, we shovel shrimp from 5 in the morning to 10 at night. I had a shovel in my hand, and the uh, phone rang. He goes, hey, man, they have an uh, assistant strength coach job at Arkansas. Do you want it? <laughs> Hold on. I took the shrimp shovel, shoo, I threw it in the bayou, and I said, hell yeah. He said, okay, man, you got to be here by Monday. I said, I got one question for you. He said, what? I said, where the hell's Arkansas, man? <laughs> he spent the next quarter century pinballing around the college football landscape, resigning from Miami while he struggled with alcoholism. Sober, he says, for 20 years, Ogeron has still been dealt his share of blows by the profession. In 2013, despite his success as an interim coach for USC, he was denied the full-time job. You want to hear the story I heard? What was it? Players loved you, the fans loved you, the coaches loved you, and the high-up said, we need the kind of guy who's got golf clubs in his trunk. Exactly right. I'm not a country club guy. You think where you're from, even your, your accent, yes. influenced that decision? For sure. No question. What are some of the stereotypes or misconceptions people might have about Cajun population? Dumb. Not worthy, not worldly. Now back home in Louisiana, Coach O isn't just understood, he's appreciated. Ogeron was hired as an LSU assistant in 2015 and promoted to head coach the following year, earning an annual salary that's now swelled to $7 million. And Ogeron cemented his status when the Tigers beat rival Alabama for the first time in eight years, delighting fans, one in particular. What do you remember about LSU beating Alabama last year? <laughs> you know, I love their stadium. I don't care for the, what the people say. They're kind of loud and boisterous. But when we won, I enjoyed that living hell out of it. <laughs> I'm getting a sense of what it must be like to sit on that couch and watch a game with you. Come on down. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, for all the earmarks of a fairy tale... The story is not entirely tidy. Within days of our visit, USA Today reported that, in 2016, an LSU player allegedly sexually assaulted two classmates, 
Ogeron was then an assistant coach at the school. He told us he didn't know about the alleged assault. More broadly, Ogeron helms a top program at a time when the ethics of big money college sports are being challenged. Some powerhouse football programs make in excess of $100 million in annual revenue, mostly from giant television rights contracts. The incentive for schools to salvage this season and play through the pandemic, it's clear. The incentive for players is less clear. These players are unpaid, they're young, they don't have a union, they're bear-hugging the other guy. You think you're asking too much of them? No, I don't think so. I, I really don't. I don't think so. And look, let me tell you something about that unpaid stuff and everything. When you sign, you get, just like I did, you get an opportunity in life. A lot of money coming into this program, but these kids are getting an opportunity. They go in education, they go network. A lot of our guys are going, going into the NFL and making a lot of money. But that's, the, that's just the steps that they got to take. But some players have decided risk outweighs opportunity. Remember Jamar Chase, the award-winning wide receiver, and Tyler Shelvin, the lineman? Within weeks of our visit, both decided not to play this sideways season and instead look ahead to the 2021 NFL draft. With kickoff one week away, SEC teams will bump up COVID testing to three times a week. Players who test positive will have to pass cardiac evaluations before they can return to play. Attendance at LSU games will be capped at 25% or 25,000 fans. And just as crucially, no tailgating. On the day we left town, Ogeron led us inside Tiger Stadium. Just as his father predicted, no ticket required. Welcome to Death Valley. My opponent's dream come to die. They say opponents' dreams die on this field. As for the homegrown coaches' dreams of playing college football as usual here this fall, well, those may be fragile too. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died Friday, and the nation suffered one more loss in a year replete with them. The tiny woman with towering intellect and historic stature was a women's rights pioneer. Justice Ginsburg earned the respect and affection of some of the Supreme Court's most conservative members, We were best buddies, she said, of her fellow opera fan, the late Justice Antonin Scalia. Ideological differences never got in the way of their mutual admiration. This election season, there will be endless arguments over replacing the relentlessly liberal justice. But tonight, we remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg's civility and her respect and love of the law. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.